Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to WasBiz Live from our Brangaroo Studios. Great to have your company for the call on this Wednesday, the 9th of September. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our two experts on the panel. We do it all in one hour. Uh, Let's introduce our expert panel today, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Uh, Claude, afternoon to you. Good to see you. G'day, thanks for having me. And Rob Shears from Valor Private Wealth is with us as well. Rob, uh, afternoon to you. Uh, Rob, afternoon. ugly day on the market today, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, been hit pretty hard. It, uh, so, uh, yeah, I think the last time I checked was down 1.68%. It's, uh, it's uh, having a tough day. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's hopefully we can uh, pick some uh, stocks for you over the next 60 minutes in the first half hour. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Computer Share, Elmo, Brainchip, MacArthur Minerals, and also AMP. I, of course, choose the stock of the day. And Metcash has provided up an update ahead of its AGM later today. Uh, the boss, Doug Jones, says strong sales momentum has continued into the first half of fiscal 2023 across all its key business arms, supermarkets, liquor and hardware. Uh, sales for this financial year up till August 28, up 8.9%. Uh, 8.9%, uh, food sales up 4.3%. Hardware sales of the company's best performer up uh, almost 20%. Liquor sales up 11%. We're drowning our sorrows and doing a bit of DIY to get through the economic gloom. Uh, let's see how the shares are performing today. And uh, they're um, after to be, after being down there just up slightly on the day. Uh, Rob, what did you think of uh, Metcash's update and the stock at the moment? A lot of the, of course, Metcash, Metcash um, looks after IGA uh, hardware, but uh, IGA supermarkets rather uh, supplies them. Also has hardware and liquor in its portfolio. Yeah, look, it was a pretty solid update from. Uh, from Metcash, and uh, as you said, the hardware division is really driving the uh, sales growth there. Uh, so yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, the the question is, is it sustainable in uh, rougher rougher economic times? Um, if house prices are trending down, um, are people going to be spending as much on their hardware going forward? You know, they probably uh, dive more into liquor. I'd say if uh, if house mm-hmm. prices are going down. But uh, so no, look, I, I I was impressed by the update. Metcash has been a difficult business over the last uh, couple of decades. If you bought the shares in 2005, you haven't made any money apart from a couple of dividends. Um, so it's, it, it's, not, it's not a high return business, and that's shown in the, uh, in the charts over the very long term. Um, so uh, can they improve that going forward with the new CEO? Uh, I think he started in February, Doug. It's, uh, so I'm not sure, but you know, early signs are showing that, uh, that, um, that liquor and, uh, and hardware are potentially going to uh, drive this business going forward. Yeah. 
Um, what about at these prices? Uh, supermarkets, they reckon sort of the Coles and the Woolies uh, uh, and Metcash are good hedges against inflation or economic downturn, more defensive stocks. You just saw on the chart Metcash near a five-year high. Um, what do you think of it at the moment at these levels? I, I don't think it's obviously priced. It's, uh, you know, from the metrics I can see uh, from Morningstar, it's trading at about 15 times next year's earnings, maybe a little bit lower with this uh, latest uh, surprise on the upside. Uh, it, it not, it's not. It's quite a bit above its, uh, its um, five-year average in terms of price to sales, but that, that makes sense if they're, they're growing faster because of the uh, hardware and liquor. Um, I, I think it, uh, no, if this was trading at... Uh, single digits I'd be somewhat interested potentially right. as a value play but it's not that right okay so uh, a no from you uh, Claude what do you think of Metcash and the update they did say um, food inflation is still still biting at the moment but they expect particularly fresh food prices to ease a bit over the next six or 12 months with the bumper crops coming through yeah generally speaking this kind of uh, business is considered uh, a bit defensive because people need to buy food yep. no matter what. However, I don't think that uh, Metcash is really as well positioned in, in that regard as Woolworths and Coles because even though the actual items they they sell, a lot of them are sort of must-haves for most families, um, if you're doing your shopping at the IGA, you're probably paying a slightly higher price than at Woolworths or Coles. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to buy stuff that the local IGA that's more convenient, but... I think as economic times do get tougher with interest rates going up, making uh, people who have perhaps have an onerous mortgage have to tighten the belts, I think there's some potential that they're going to you know, shift some of that spend maybe to the bigger supermarkets. So right. really, it's my absolute least favorite as an investor. I think it's, it's an important part of our society and, and I like being a customer of Metcash. But yeah, I wouldn't buy shares really except in the sort of situation that Rob just talked about. Right, okay. All right, let's get on to the stocks that uh, you want us to take a look at. And Rob, um, Simon wants to be on ComputerShare, the uh, uh, the software business specialising in share registry, employee plans, financial services. Um, what do you think of ComputerShare? Yeah, ComputerShare is an interesting one. It's um, it's doing well lately. Obviously, it uh, it does well in a rising rate environment because it gets a, a higher uh, net interest margin off its uh, margin business. So uh, that that part of the business is doing well, um, and the cash flows are increasing uh, quite considerably. The question is, is that price into the price? It's uh, it's it's been one of the better performing stocks uh, in Australia over the last uh, year, and uh, you know we discussed owning it uh, about a year and a half ago at eleven uh, dollars. Uh, I, I I suspect that uh, a lot of the um, future margin expansion on the uh, margin uh, income is somewhat priced in, right. um, and I don't see it as, uh, as having any uh, obvious uh, um, uh, entry point at this at this price. It, yeah. uh, I do think there is further upside uh, in the business because of uh, rising wage, though. Yeah. So you look at that chart, and uh, if if you've been in it sort of since the pre-COVID crash at $9 or when you're looking a year and a half ago at 11, you've done pretty well, but you've, you've missed the boat if you're getting in with new money. Um, if, you're in, if you're in it already and you've ridden it up, would you take some profits? Um, potentially, yeah. Look, it's, uh, no, I, I mean, I do think that uh, 
there's talk of rate rises sort of uh, going on for another year. I, th- I think there's a bit of time to uh, to ride this one out if you're already right. in it, uh, right. just to hold. Right. So I, I wouldn't be rushing to sell. I think that um, uh, the business drivers, there's there's uh, some are offsetting each other. So uh, I, I I think the margin increase is uh, is something where it, it will have potentially higher earnings in a year's time because high rates. Okay. Uh, Claude, what do you think of computer share? Look, it's really hard to offer anything different from what Rob just said because I, I agree with all of that. Look, the management's forecasting and everyone expects the uh, earnings to improve significantly in FY 2023, and that'll probably happen. Um, but even assuming that happens, I'm not sure that it's actually that cheap. A lot of it's been priced in. So I think in order to get upside, you need to have uh, even just a, a perfect situation where either there's enough sort of bankruptcy work to um, compensate for the loss of perhaps transactional uh, revenues that they get more of during buoyant economic times. And you also have a fairly high interest rates to improve that profit they get from that float. So overall, I don't, I just agree with what Rob said completely. I'd probably say it's got a little bit further to run, but after those FY 2023 results uh, do come in, you should see a strong growth rate. And if the market is then sort of extrapolating that growth rate to continue indefinitely, that's when I'd probably take the other side of that bet because I don't think it'll go on forever, these conditions, but they'll go on for a bit longer and that'll be fairly good for computer share. Okay, so would you get in with you money at the moment or just hold it if you're already in? No, I, the, the thing is, I just prefer keep my money in cash. If I think the outlook's not very good for most stocks, which I think are good long-term businesses, then I prefer just sit in cash, which is what I'm doing at the moment. Don't get me wrong, I've still got money in the market, but I've just been keeping more than ever on the side. And the real game for me isn't buying something that's counter, perhaps counter-cyclical like computer share i think that the real money is made when you find massive multi-year multi-baggers i'm talking 10 years plus right. if you look at the right. really long-term charts on computer share it's just probably not that good right so how much cash what percentage do you have in cash at the moment well it, i haven't been taking money out of the market in the recent months but i was taking money out of the market quite aggressively uh in the beginning of this year perhaps right. any time from november to march and then since then just through other um selling private company shares for example i've increased my cash holdings quite a lot but i right. haven't put that into the market yet right. so it's actually quite a high percentage of cash for me probably over 50 percent. but wow. that's not all from selling that's partly just from building up cash from other sources okay all right so you you obviously expect another big leg down that's what I believe will happen. Of course, that could be wrong, which is why I still do have a significant amount of money for me in, in the market. And, and that's yeah. my liquid net, net wealth is really in market or cash. So right. um, I'll be happy if we've had the worst of it for as an investor, but I do think it's going mm. lower, at least in, in the stocks that I uh, find most interesting. Probably the higher risk growth companies, they're always going to lag the higher quality growth yeah. companies. So. You kind of, if you're going to be at that end of the market, you can kind of see where the bigger stocks are going and that can give you an indication. Yep. All right. Um, Claude, Izzy wants a view on Elmo, the uh, cloud-based HR and payroll, payroll uh, software provider. Uh, basically, it's a platform that, that businesses can put all their payroll and, um, and employee data on, is it? Yeah, that's right. So this is a like 
a smaller software company, not le- not yet profitable. You know, I think they claim a, a small um, underlying EBITDA profit, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say what Charlie Munger described EBITDA as, but <laughs> underlying EBITDA is even worse than that <laughs> as a measure there. Uh, so, so basically, um, it's not. It's still in loss-making tech. So it's the really high-risk small-cap stuff that I was just talking about <clears> as being probably the last to come <throat> out of the trough. Um, you know, they'll bounce off the bottom, but then the market, it, where it's jittery, it's avoiding this com- companies like this because they're not profitable. They rely on the market to raise capital. Now, Elmo Software is an interesting one because they are saying that they expect to reach cash flow break-even in FRI 2023 and that there's at least a chance uh, probably I think management's implying there's a strong chance they won't need to raise any more capital. And, and that matters a lot to valuations because um, of course, if you do need to raise more capital, then you come beholden to the market pricing at the time and you can cause dilution, which will like permanently devalue wow. the shares basically, basically. So if they can't avoid that, there's probably upside. I mean, it's a good example of how, th- how dangerous it is, especially these days to try to rate a software stock based on a multiple of ARR. So these guys would be now trading on less than three times ARR. And, you know, that might seem really cheap compared to uh, a very high quality software stock that might still be on 10 or 20 times um, recurring revenue. So, um, but it, it, the difference is that these guys may continue to be loss making. And yeah. honestly, their profit and loss looks really quite terrible. I think it was like 40 million. Now there's some one-offs in there in the last year. But I'm super skeptical about when they would actually make a profit. So for me, this is one that'll, it's had too long to try and make a profit. It has had done so many acquisitions, still not profitable. To me, it just feels like they're not serious. They have not been serious about making a profit at all. They've really enjoyed um, issuing shares and, and that kind of thing. So I don't really want to fund their empire building. So I wouldn't right. wait until they actually make a profit or get close to it. At least mm-hmm. that cash flow break even. Yeah. Um, Rob, what do you think? I said, but the market's changed. Has, has, uh, the, these companies, everyone sort of a year ago going, oh, don't worry about profits. It's all about growth and building revenue and da, da, da. Now the economic climate changes, interest rates go up and all of a sudden they're told, no, nah, you've got to make a profit, do it the old fashioned way. Yeah, look, I um, Which is bad. a parody. In- <laughs> It's not, it's not necessarily like some of these companies do grow out of their uh, growing pains, but I wrote a parody on the markets in November last year, just taking the absolute mickey out of companies like this. And the biggest offence, I think, in the markets of last year is growing um, share-based compensation at faster than revenues. So, um, you know, this company is growing their share-based compensation 116% a year. Now, if you actually look at any company which is growing shares at faster than revenue, you realise it's actually a declining business if you do this over 10, 20 years. And that's what Elmo is. If they keep on growing their share-based compensation at these rates, uh, then it is actually a declining business, not a growing business. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that's, that's it's an interesting... That's a brutal take-down. It's a brutal takedown. It's a declining business. And, uh, and, yeah. and a lot of these companies are you know, run for employees, not shareholders. And, and that's my critical takedown of a lot. Of, this, this is not the only one in this market. There's, 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 quite, a few, there's quite a few of these businesses uh, in this market which are growing share-based compensation at ridiculous levels. Okay. Uh, so I gather that's a no from you, Rob? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> really putting I, it on. I, I, I was the way the way that. Yeah, I, was, I did gather. I'm pretty sure underlying a bit that excludes share-based compensation. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if Charlie Munger called us something. We can call it cow pad ending. That's uh, <laughs> why put it on the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, An- Andrew Rob um, wonders if our next doc uh, falls into the same uh, same category. He wants uh, a view on brain chip, the uh, artificial intelligence group, which is in neuromorphic computing. Now, it's way above my pay grade to know what the frick that is. But anyhow, um, apparently it's computing that that learns the functions of uh, of your brain uh, and it operates through one segment. So uh, what do you think of brain chip? Should, should I jump um, in? Uh, yes. Uh, Claude, <laughs> would you like to kick it off? Yeah, sure. Well, I look forward to what Rob has to say about this after Elmo. I think brain chip is signi- on a fundamental basis. It's significantly crazier than Elmo. Like I'm talking... Oh one of the most insanely priced stocks on that on the asx um just i think about five million revenue in the last year i think that its current market capitalization is something like 300 times revenue it is wild so hang on 300 times revenue yes not earnings exactly it will exactly my point even if it had zero costs of running its business and all of that was profit and free cash flow and didn't have to pay tax, then you'd still be taking 300 years at the current rate to get your money back. So just absolutely wild. Look, it's. I think I'd encourage any serious in, investor to have a look at the share count because that, that's what's going to bring it down forever. I don't think that anything will ever shake the belief of the um, true believers in this stock who have Facebook groups dedicated to telling each other how great the company is. And I think that's right. how it got to this insane level. It is just an absolute cult situation. Look at the shares on issue, though, over the last 10 years. I think it's been listed for uh, more than 10 years, but $220 million back in 2013. And, you know, I think over 1.7 billion shares now on issue. So it is going right. up. It's going to keep going up. They've been very careful. They're doing it slowly. Hey, it only lost $8 million, though. So, um I guess it can't be spending more than $8 million on R&D, but I, I'm speechless. Um, good right. luck to the, the holders. Please don't send me any more hate mail. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, Rob, Claude has led with his chin on this one. Uh, you can, yep. You yep. can back up. <laughs> I completely agree with everything Claude says, and uh, uh, my polite version is probably worse than that. Uh, it, <laughs> this is uh, one of the most egregious companies I've seen on the ASX for a long time in terms of uh, uh, red and orange flags. You know, it's, it just rings every warning bell uh, for me. Um, promotional management, change of auditor, reverse merger, um, you know, virtually no R&D, but yet saying that it's uh, revolutionized computing to compete, you know, compete against companies like NVIDIA who've got billions in R&D. So, uh, you know, a lot of things it's claiming which... Um, uh, using uh, you know uh, word fruit salad to uh, to sound like it's impressive and you know it, it, you know you look at their website they say they're going to revolutionise the entire world uh, with their computing chip it's uh, uh, these these almost everything about the company concerns me right okay all right let's uh, switch from from <laughs> that, that's from, a polite version from tech yes no I uh, 
the mind boggles what the uh, the realistic one would be. So, Andrew, I think loud and clear from both Claude and Rob, you've got some direction there. Um, That's not a comment on the share price. Like, I'm not trying to talk the stock down or anything. I have no idea right. what the share price will do, but it, it doesn't have a fundamental basis in reality, sure. in my opinion. Okay. Um, Claude, you, sir, you're talking as if you've been um, you've been abused by the cult in the past. I have, yeah. You have to keep, like, uh, people think that if you're going after, it's just crazy. I should, I probably shouldn't even mention it, but I do, do want to slightly call it out because, a, it's not going to stop me saying what I think, and b, it, it's yep. reprehensible. Like, people can disagree on a stock. You, you don't have to get personal. Yep, yep, absolutely agree. All right, uh, Rob, let's switch to resources now to see if you feel better about MacArthur Minerals. Uh, David wants a view on that. Uh, Iron Ore Gold and Lithium Exploration Company um, with a project in WA. What do you think of uh, MacArthur Minerals? Yeah, so look, the, the disclosures on the, uh, the MacArthur website and, and, and in their documentation are suggesting this is high grade iron ore but then you look at the numbers and they're talking about you know in some areas it's 25 to 30 percent iron ore grades in others it's um 40 47 to uh to 49 percent iron ore grades unless you're doing more than 57 percent iron ore grades you are low grade iron ore but uh, right. so anything below 55 is shockingly low grade and pretty much all on in my opinion once the tide goes out and the tides already started to go out on china you've seen the evergrand yeah. uh, debacle that's just the tip of the iceberg when China is not building, um, or you know, China's consuming 55 to 60 percent of the world's steel at the moment, and uh, but they've only got around about 16 or 17 percent of the world's population that's declining pretty rapidly. So um, China will not be consuming 55 to 60 percent of the world's iron ore at some point in the next five, 10, 15 years. And when that happens, the iron ore price will not be where it has been over the last uh, you know, 15 to 20 years, and it will probably go back to its long-term average, which is around about 40 bucks a ton. Right, but that's forty bucks a ton for uh, 60, fifty-eight to you know sixty-two grade iron ore. The low-grade iron ore is just useless at those prices. Um, so it, it's it, there's there's no reason to dig it out of the ground uh, if that's if, if it's very low-grade iron right. ore. Um, so but then it goes on the lithium, and they talk about the brine lithium uh, in the Nevada deserts, and they talk about the uh, parts per million. Um, it's it's a fraction of what the parts per million are of the Atacama Desert, which is obviously the best um, brine lithium in the world. Uh, in Chile, so they're talking about high-grade brine lithium, but it's not it's not high-grade um, in terms of uh, what I consider high-grade. We own um, what I consider the best lithium company in the world, which is um, Albemarle. Uh, Albemarle and SQM are the two. I won't pronounce this the uh, Chilean version of that, but uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So they're the two best lithium lithium miners in the world, and uh, the, the the brine lithium they get from the Atacama Desert, which is the driest desert in the entire world yep. by a very large margin, um, are Four, five times higher than what they're talking about. Okay, um, so for example, with um, with iron ore grades, what's Fortescue is a low grade uh, iron ore producer, isn't it? Um, what, what's its levels? Yeah, I think it's around about the fifty-five right. to sixty grade levels, but it changes depending on how fast they're digging, etc. I haven't looked at Fortescue right. recently, but they've actually done a pretty good uh, uh, job of increasing their grades over right. time. Yeah. Uh, which is impressive, um, but uh, but there's quite a few uh, uh, out there um, which are are you, know, you look at uh, mineral resources and they've got fairly low grade iron ore, and they were losing money when iron ore dropped down to 90, 95 bucks a ton just recently. So they're losing money at ninety to ninety five, and their their iron ore is around about fifty five. 
Right. So if you're talking about anything below that, you're losing money when the iron ore price and the iron ore price is stated at the uh, the 58, not the uh, not the 62 or 65, I believe. So it's a, right. uh, you know the, the, the right. standard iron ore prices. So so, so um, you'd be getting out of you'd be getting out of all iron ore uh, miners at the moment if you think the iron ore price is coming back to 40. I've been bearish on China for a number of years. I don't know when it is going to happen, but I know it will happen. The, 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 yeah. the mathematical certainty of this is near certain. There's something called, uh, and it's an, almost an iron law in economics, uh, there's something called peak steel. And if you look at the US, the US economy has grown since 1962, mm -hmm. but they have not consumed a single milligram or a pound more of steel uh, since, um, you know, still not on the metric system yet, but uh, since 1962, they haven't consumed any more steel than they did in 1962. So they're actually, wow. they, they've, they've hit peak steel in 1962. If you look at the US and you watch the movie Flying High, uh, then you go to uh, LA Airport, um, you realise that LA Airport hasn't changed since Flying High was made. But, uh, you know, it's exactly <laughs> the same airport. But uh, you don't rebuild these things. They're built and then you don't rebuild them. So they, they, they built the infrastructure, their airport, the trains, a lot of their yeah. buildings, etc. Bridges, you do not rebuild your infrastructure, mm -hmm. and therefore you don't consume more iron ore. And that's what China's going to hit at some point. And I think they actually passed what they should be uh, in terms of their peak steel should have been a couple of years ago. They're, they've overbuilt, right? So that's yep. problematic going forward. Yep. Um, Claude MacArthur. Uh, look, I think Rob was super comprehensive yep. on that point, so I won't get into the details there. Look, I will just note that China is a huge factor in iron ore demand, and again, that demand has a massive impact on whether you would even bother mining lower quality ore. Or, um, or, and China's population growth is like zero point three percent with basically no immigration. So, yep. yeah. There, there will indeed what Rob is saying is going to be true in my opinion and the other point I wanted to make is um, Rob was talking about this Albemarle uh, company the lithium miner years ago when I spoke to him so I thought that um, for a long time I've sort of borrowed that idea of him it's, it's been my favorite idea for exposure to lithium and, and if you really just want exposure to the trend it makes sense and, right. and so I thought that was a good point too okay all right um, interesting uh Claire, uh, Claude wants a view on AMP now. Let's go into financial services, uh, the great financial services organisation. You could say the brand has been slightly tainted over the last five years ago. It's been carved and sliced and diced and it's had got into trouble with regulators. It's sort of not the AMP of 10 years ago. Uh, what do you think of the trimmed down AMP? Is it through the worst? Uh, look, no, I think it's fundamentally broken. Look, I'll... I'm sure that a Rob will give us a, a rundown on the quantitative side of things. So I just want to um, make the point that I think just kills it, which is that AMP is, is basically a business that needs two sets of people to uh, trust it or believe in it. First of all, the customers want a you know safe steward they can trust with their financial affairs. And secondly, um, talented people within um, financial and investment industries want to have a place where they can build a career and where it will be a good stepping stone to whatever it is they want out of life, uh, which usually is more likely to occur in a kind of growing business anyway. But also, even if you're just looking at it as a stepping stone, um, working at a, a place that has a, has a reputation for being a terrible place to work is not going to be um, something that is going to encourage other firms to want to hire you because they might be worried, oh, are you part of a bad culture there if you've worked mm. there a long time? 
So you've it breaks down on both levels on how they've got no competitive advantage. They have a competitive disadvantage in hiring the best people. <clears throat> They'd have to pay more. You'd work for less for a really great growing company, or at least I would, than you would for AMP. Yeah. In August 2020, um, a, a journalist that has nothing to do with finance called Jenna Price wrote about, uh, now we know the details of the allegations against Bo Pahari, AMP's response looks pathetic. You didn't need to be a financial es- um, expert to, to use that word pathetic. And the share price has definitely been pathetic since then. And the culture of the company is super broken. Yeah. Uh, I hope that it dies in my lifetime. <laughs> wow! Claude's put a death wish on it. I've, I've heard it. Slowly, him. slowly, not suddenly. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, a... I will, it will. That, that brand will go right. away. Mark my words, in my lifetime, we won't be talking about AMP. I reckon it'll rename something completely different. Okay. I'm not talking saying the company's going to zero. I'm saying that that brand, the, name, the company called okay. AMP, I reckon it's going away. Uh, Rob, I haven't seen Claude this fired up. Uh, since, since, it's since, probably too cheap. So, now, on, share, since, now I've said that, the share price will go up. Since I bought a coal stock to him. And uh, oh. then he got equally and passionate. Done very well. Yeah, let's don't go there. <laughs> um, Rob, what do you reckon of AMP? Uh, I completely agree with everything Ford says. It, uh, it, the first stock I ever did a recommendation on back in 2005 was AMP for a client. And... Um, that was when it was about $8. And uh, I said sell at $8 because the culture was broken back then. They were employing the wrong people. Wow. And uh, it was it was a broken thesis all the way back then in 2005. So from $8 down to whatever it is today, dollar something, um, it's been a disaster of a ride. But it was, it was wholly predictable. So over the very long term, if you own a business, the most important factor is nothing to do with what the current business is even doing or earning. It's, it's the management... Uh, allocation of capital, but it's also the culture of the business and, and exactly what Claude talked about there in terms of the culture. Um, it's almost impossible to turn a culture around because you need to keep on employing great people. You can't attract great people if you uh, if you have a bad culture. So it's chicken and the egg sort of stuff. But it, it is almost impossible to turn a culture around. And, and you know, the ultimate example is Satya Nadella turned around Microsoft, but what Microsoft wasn't that broken yeah. uh, before he came along. It, um, it, uh, but he really has turned around the culture at Microsoft, and Microsoft is shooting the lights out. Um, but it, it's you know you, you you really you need a genius, and I'm talking about a genius of a manager to come in and change the culture. And um, I don't think that's uh, okay. likely. All right, let's recap the first five stocks and our stock of the day um, before we get into the second half. Um, and it's a pretty easy recap. Uh, Metcash, Computer Share. Um, oh, Computer Share, if you're in it, uh, probably hold it, but uh, it's too high for new money, according to, uh, uh, to Claude and Rob. Uh, Elmo, Brainship, MacArthur, and AMP. Basically, they wouldn't touch with a barge pole, to put it uh, kindly. Um, here on the call, we've been tracking... If it was, a, if it was a segment for shorting, that uh, maybe this would be a good one. Well, uh... yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they're so low, I'm not sure whether they've got any further to go, most of them. Um, hey, here at the call, we've been tracking our own high-conviction fantasy fund as picked by our investment committee. Uh, the latest episode of the committee meeting is up on the platform at the moment. So... Uh, um, and it only went up last night. So heading into September, Universal Store 
NextDC, The Lottery Corp, ResMed and Oz Minerals were all removed from the, um, uh, from the portfolio by the committee. Uh, Karoon, Boss, uh, Solpats, Premier Investments and South32 were all added. So that was a massive fundamental change to, uh, to the portfolio. It was a big shift to energy stocks. Uh, let's see how the portfolio is uh, performing since the 1st of March. Uh, the fund is up 1.3%. Um, so uh, go to the platform to see the latest investment committee discussion. It was a beauty. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, in uh, this half hour, we're going to take a look at Jade Gas Holding, Cog State, Universal Store, uh, E-Road and IntelliHR. Um, uh, Claude Owen wants a view on uh, Jade Gas Holdings, their uh, exploration company uh, focused on Mongolia is um, uh, where they're, they're exploring for, for gas and mainly methane. Uh, methane in South Gobi region of Mongolia. What do you think of Jade Gas? Uh, Owen wants a view on it. Personally, I don't think that uh, the chances of being able to monetize uh, gas reserves in Mongolia in any time soon are, are great. It's uh, situated between Russia and China. I would, I'm super skeptical about the risks to Australian shareholders that might want to try and uh, monetize that kind of asset. So personally, I'd avoid it for that reason. Uh, look, you, me you mentioned in terms of um, coal stocks and also gas stocks, the, the situation has been massively changed ever, ever since the, the uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. And that, that's when my opinion about these kind of energy stocks changed. Generally speaking, I'm, I think that the profitable equities in the sector are, are really worth looking at. So if you want that kind of exposure, I'd be doing a, a lower risk one. You can look at the, some of those coal companies buying back shares. It, mathematically, it, it should work for shareholders no matter what the long term holds. So it, this is a super high risk way to play that kind of theme. I think that's the theme that the share price will trade on. But that's just a sociological trade. I'd prefer have um, a, have one backed by dividends, buybacks, the, the cold hard cash from a mine that's operating in Australia if I right. wanted that kind of exposure. Yeah, you've got a you've got a pretty strict ESG filter though, don't you? Yeah, so right. I've totally missed I've totally missed out. Like anybody could see it coming the the minute that um, the Russian tanks started amassing on the border of Ukraine, you could see how um, an invasion would cause uh, stocks such as New Hope Coal, Whitehaven Coal, which I've previously been super negative on. Its share price was like $2 something I think or $3 yeah. something. And that's doubled since the uh, war in the Ukraine. So anybody could see um, that that was probably going to benefit them massively. And, and sure enough, it did. It's become a huge popular trade. Lots of people have made money out of it. Obviously, I had to sit it out just because I imagined writing a whole article about how I never used to invest in coal companies. But now um, this one looks like such a good opportunity. I'm going to buy shares. 
I thought about doing that, but I decided I'll just sit it out. Right. Okay. Uh, Rob, what do you think of Jay Gass? I feel as though this one, uh, as, as Claude said, you know, you're in a, uh, an area which is, uh, doesn't make any sense to, uh, to be doing what they're doing. And I feel as though it's taking sand to the beach. It's, uh, you've got Russia there with very low cost and enormous gas reserves. And, uh, it, you know, coal seam gas costs more money than conventional gas. So if you're going to go drill for coal seam gas um, right next door to some of the lowest cost and uh, largest gas reserve in the world, you can have a higher cost than what it is right next door. It doesn't make any rational sense to me to be doing that. Um, so the, the business case for investing in it uh, is confusing to me. Um, you know, wider macro view on uh, gas prices and oil prices. Um, uh, I think that um, what's happened, is, I mean, we bought eight gas companies back in um, May, April, I think it was April, uh, just after oil went down to negative uh, $37 a barrel. And uh, we, we, we went to, right, yeah, we need to uh, buy. So we bought eight gas companies, not, not oil companies. And um, as we said, look, you know, this is, this has to, uh, this has to revert. But now that the gas price has gone up and it's uh, now, and oil and gas are now both trading at above their long-term averages. I'm actually somewhat bearish medium to long-term on oil and gas. Mm. Uh, so if you're holding these at these, you know, so I think that um, the cost of getting this stuff out of the ground um, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, the, there's very, very low cost gas reserves around the world, like the tar, et cetera, has got, you know, gas cost extraction in the cents, not the dollars. Um, so, you know, the, the ability to, uh, eventually get floating LNG and this is, this will take years, not months. Um, but if you're looking over five or 10 years, I think the prices of these things are going to come down. If you're a short-term trader betting on the next year, yep, you can you can have your bets, whatever you want to do. But if you're looking at five or 10 years, I actually think the prices will come down materially. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, and that's, that has to do, you look at what happened, fracking technology um, you know, really changed the world. But when fracking technology came in, the gas price went down to $1.70 because they were all drilling for oil and then the gas was just an excess commodity they threw onto the market. And, uh, and that's why gas prices are so low for so long. So, uh, so technology is improving in these areas. And, um, and I think that actually drives these things lower long-term, not higher than where they're currently trading. Okay, so, so if you're in them at the moment, say the big end of town, the, the Santos's and the Woodsides and the like, uh, have all had a decent run, uh, you'd be getting out of them. Uh, over a five to ten year period, yes. Oh, over right. a one year period, I think there's going to be spikes potentially right. upwards, and I think there may be better times to get out than yeah. even now. I, yeah, I yeah. think that uh, I think short ter- short term, there's still more issues, yeah, still more pain to come for uh, for anyone who's um, uh, you know, energy prices have a potential to spike quite a bit higher in the short term. I think. Okay. All right, uh, Claude. Tim wants a view on Cog State, the uh, the science company. It basically runs critical tri- clinical trials, rather, for pharmaceutical companies, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I, I actually own shares in this one, which um, I'm, I'm underwater on having bought in June, thinking that I was getting a, a good deal at, I think, $2, uh, $1.50 rather, or, or something around that. And what it essentially uh, is leveraged to is the number of uh, trials for new Alzheimer's drugs. So I think there are two or three going on at the moment that, that are important for, for Cogstate. If those drugs continue to proceed, Cogstate should do well. If actually we do start to get decent cures for or at least treatments for 
uh, Alzheimer's disease, then it's a high likelihood that some of Cogsafe's profit uh, products will be used to help diagnose people and measure, you know, if the medication's working and, and that kind of thing. So they have sort of simple standardized tests that can measure cognitive function and they have a bit of a competitive advantage because they're accepted for uh, scientific use. So if you're doing a drug trial, you don't want to risk, you know, having a, a to and fro with the regulator because you've used a new software product to measure the cognitive function. You just want to make sure that you've got an accepted way of measuring it. So a nice little competitive advantage there, a profitable company trading on around a little over about 20 times earnings. Um, I, I'm not quite sure why the share price has dived so much in the last few days. I think that, you know, the only thing I'd worry about is if something's going on with some drug trial, because that's yeah. the biggest risk to Cog State. If they call off some drug trial, which is one of its major customers, it can lose its revenue. But other than that, it has revenue locked in for next year. I think it's quite likely. Um, my base case certainly is that it continues to grow profit again in the next year. And if it keeps doing that, it, I think it's just going to look too cheap. And then eventually the market will, I hope, re-rate it. At least that's my thesis as a shareholder. Okay. So would you see it as a buy at these levels or? Yeah, I'm, I'm not buying more because I sort of tend not to average down if, right. if the share price moves against me. But I did buy just slightly above higher levels. And I don't see any change in my thesis in that their results came in roughly as expected. And I think that it's a well-run company. It doesn't okay. have any balance sheet issues. So, yeah, I think so. But it, just keep in mind, it's... It's a small, it's a small cap growth stock, so it could definitely continue to suffer if we have this risk off sentiment. Okay. Uh, Rob, what do you think of Cogstate? It's it's a really interesting business. That uh, I, I haven't ever actually looked at it at, at all. I've never really heard of it up until uh, this this call. So I put a bit of work into uh, trying to understand the business, and um, I, I, I'm not sure the moat is wide. It's, it's you know, what would it take for a group of scientists and doctors to come and replicate this product. Um, I, I, I'm not sure the market cap of the, uh, the business um, is necessarily uh, showing her, uh, the, the, the width of the moat. I think, I think someone could come along and offer something as a similar product and uh, a, a try to take market share from them. Um, but they do have some, uh, some long-term contracts with, uh, I think it's called SI, the, uh, the SAO, SAO or, um, the Japanese company. Um, so the, the the potentials there, it doesn't seem that expensive. They've got net cash of, uh, I think it's $28.7 million on the balance sheet, which is pretty substantial. Um, so there's a lot of green flags on this one. Um, you know, another green flag is the management uh, owned a fair chunk of the business. Uh, the founder and the, uh, the executive chairman owned nearly 30% of the business. So that's a pretty pretty nice little uh, uh, green flag there. Alzheimer's is a massive problem. So they're trying to solve a lot of the uh, the uh, these issues around these things. So, um, you know, potentially good for society, doing the right things. Uh, sounds like it's got a good product. Um, I, I don't mind this business. It's, uh, mm. uh, value, value it is different, difficult uh, because it's, um, if you look at uh, some of their disclosures, some of the, uh, the, the revenues and cash flows, the amortization of cash flows from the SAI uh, contracts, et cetera, it's hard to pull apart, pull apart the figures in terms of what is actually the, the sustainable level of earnings and revenue from some of these things. So, um, it's uh, I. It, it is a speculative uh, company, in, in, as, as as Paul said, small small cap growth company. Um, uh, but uh, how much growth, how much competition is coming? I don't know. It's, it's difficult right. to analyse these things. Okay. All right. 
So potentially a buy. Potentially right. a buy. <laughs> so not a confident one if it is. Okay, a spec buy. Yes. If you're into it. All right. Um, I'm surprised that I got a yes then. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's see if we can keep the ball rolling with Universal Store. Uh, Rob, Paul wants a view on that. The uh, uh, the retailer in um, in youth casual apparel has a, a number of uh, pretty good brands to that end of the market. Uh, what do you think of Universal Store? Yeah, look, it's, it's done well over the, over the years. We're always skeptical of every um, fashion retail business. Uh, they can be very, very hot and cold and, uh, and get out of favor very quickly. Uh, you look at uh, Billabong, uh, you know, they yeah. killed, a, killed their brand by selling, uh, you know, shorts and T-shirts to dad bods and too many dad bods wearing Billabong at the beach and killed the brand. So, um, you know, th- these brands can, <clears throat> uh, can be very fickle. Um, so you've got to be very careful of investing in these companies. Uh, having said that, uh, it, it's, not, it's not expensive. It's, uh, you know, they've still got more store rollouts uh, on both the two main, you know, the the, uh, they're, they're saying there's a potential another 25 store rollouts over the next couple of years. So, um, you know, these sort of store rollout businesses can have <clears throat> accretive earnings uh, over time. Um, and, and I don't think that's priced into the shares at eight times mm-hmm. uh, cash flow. Um, so I, I think there is still upside on this business. But once again, I, I we, we generally don't invest in fashion businesses just because mm-hmm. they are very difficult to see what the brand is going to be doing in five and ten years time okay all right um claude universal store yeah it doesn't look good for me from a sociological perspective um i agree with everything rob said and i also note i'm not sort of someone who's particularly focused on uh retailers i tend to just try and pick what are the best couple of retailers and then follow those there's nothing that makes me think that this is a particularly advantaged retailer probably a more competitive segment than I would generally aim for. And what I don't like about it is the sociological signals. So um, surprisingly for a fairly lowly liquid stock, um, it has a fair bit of coverage from analysts. I'm seeing, I see six analysts already covering this um, from on cap IQ. And then they all pretty much have strong um, earnings per share growth out, out until 2025. And I just don't, see the trajectory right that like this year their revenue i think was actually down I'm not saying it's a typical year but the it just doesn't match up with the you know up and to the right projections to me i think that it's more likely that the economy will go through some um fairly rough or, or just even just more difficult conditions and i don't think that bodes particularly well for what is you know essentially a discretionary retailer okay all right i know uh i'll tell you what talking retailers i was uh looking at the, the companies that are going to get added to the ASX 200 next week or the week after. Uh, Labisa is one of them. Um, you talk about the discretionary. Uh, in, in June, it was $13 and today is 23 for retail. Blimey. Have you heard of, have you heard of the lipstick effect, yes. David? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Look, I don't know how real it is, but hypothetically that might apply to La Visa just because of yep. the nature of their uh, what they sell and has a broad yep. appeal. Like anyone from a millionaire to uh, a teenager with pocket money could easily end up buying something yep. from their store. Yeah, yeah. And the, the lipstick the- theory that Claude's talking about is in tough times, go for lipstick manufacturers because they're the little, cheap, affordable treats 
to make your life better without committing a lot of money. So, uh, yeah. Um, now, Ella wants a view, Claude, on E-Road, the uh, GPS. Uh, basically, they're a GPS and uh, software business to monitor um, transport management tools, aren't they, for when drivers take a rest and when they pull over and make sure they don't drive too much. Yes, that's right. So this is one that I got wrong. I still own it. I, I did sell out some at much higher levels, but uh, basically you can you can Google it and find my article about E-Road basically saying, oh, I'm going to sell some. And then I just didn't sell it fast enough and the share price crashed ahead of it. And so I got stuck holding, bag holding some at a loss. And now I think it's too cheap, but that's the classic bag holder mentality where you buy something and things go wrong. It misguidance. Um, basically, the industry it operates in, trucking in America, has had massive troubles with staffing, which yeah. means that upgrading and improving all of these systems um, that track all the trucks has been the last thing on the mind of the of the potential clients. You can see, you know, I would have had an opportunity to sell it like $6, but I think I ended up, what I did sell was less than that, and then I didn't sell it all, and now I'm holding it. I think that the sentiment's gone too far against it. Um, it's still a uh, good in my opinion, it's a good sustainable business. Rob will probably give it a serve for uh, being loss making and, and, and rightly so. But I I do think it'll it'll come through the other side. Ha having said that, um, yeah, it's basically got a massive problem in that its client industry trucking, especially in the US, is having mm. a really tough time, which was made incredibly worse by the fact that the uh, long serving CEO and founder stepped down sort of a little bit surprisingly, like quite abruptly. Um, so that's shaken market confidence as well. So right. even though I do own shares, I couldn't give it a buy yeah. at all. Uh, um, I personally am holding it now because I feel like it's too low to sell now. Um, but I did when it was a high share price, I was a seller. Okay, Rob, give it your best serve. <laughs> yeah, look, um, a lot of these sort of uh, businesses, which are uh, network effect businesses, where if you keep on building the network effect, then uh, you, you can actually have a very good business over the long term. But you need to be um, the, the biggest cat in town. And uh, there, there are dozens and dozens of competitors in this right. market. And, uh, and, and, and some are quite a bit larger. So uh, does E-Road have a better product? Does it have a cheaper product? Does it have a... Uh, uh, a product which uh, you know does things the other people can't do, etc. I, I, I couldn't work that out. I tried to um, go online and analyze the individual products, and uh, they seem to be um, there seem to be quite a few people doing very similar right. things, okay. um, which concerns me. Yeah. So I, I think that's why you're not seeing the pricing power come through to earnings. Okay. Uh, so they're growing, but they're, they're not. You're not seeing pricing power there. All right, our final stop. We'll need to whip through this a bit, um, Claude. Not not our Claude, but a different Claude. If you're Want to view Rob on uh, IntelliHR, the uh, human resources uh, platform, people management analytics, very similar to uh, uh, to Elmo. It is, yeah, but it's uh, from what I could gather, it seems to have a better product than Elmo. So, um, so there's there's quite a few uh, green flags here. You know, Elmo had a lot more orange flags than uh, than I think Teller here has. And, uh, so. Um, I think uh, the fact that um, you know uh, the there's, there's still insider buying happening um, doesn't seem that expensive at five point one five times uh, times uh, sales high gross margins uh, you know significant growth in uh, in revenues so uh, there's, there's 
once again, mm. it's a fairly small speculative company, but uh, but there's there is potential green shoots here. Now, right. It's not the sort of thing we genuinely invest in uh, because we like to buy companies where there is no scenario where they're not the winner. But, right. uh, so you know, it's just a, like a lay down there and uh, if you. Uh, playing cards or or, or, a, or half an inch putt playing golf. You know? right. So this is not that. There's I, when I looked up online, there's 927 HR um, software companies oh, okay. um, around the world, and um, and you know some of the big ones, some of the really big ones um, are, are making uh, on a daily basis the entire revenue of Intelligent. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, that was that was Elmo. But so, some of these big ones are just enormous companies. Um, like Workday, etc. So uh, competing against these really large companies yeah. is very difficult. Okay, Claude. Uh, yeah, I think that the so the iron shares in this one purely uh, it's like a tiny percent of my portfolio purely because I think they're going to raise more capital, and I think that it'll start looking better after uh, after the the next capital raise. So I have zero point two percent of my portfolio in Intel HR. I wouldn't really call it a buy now. Because they're just losing too much money, they're just burning too much cash. Having said that, organic revenue growth. So, for example, unlike Elmo, which has acquired a lot of its revenue growth over the years, uh, these guys have organic growth, which is definitely what you want to see. Negative, as with Erode, yeah, not really optimal. It's a bit too competitive. No clear competitive advantage. Okay. Definitely not a favorite stock of mine. Probably one of the least favorite in my portfolio. But I just, there is just a few things that I like about it that mean that um, I'm just keeping a little interest now and I'm hoping that if they do do a capital raise again, they'll actually make it sort of fair for shareholders. But that's right. not guaranteed either. Okay. All right, let's recap the uh, final five stocks. A no for Jade Gas. As, <laughs> this is the one that caught me by surprise. Uh, a speculative buy from both Rob and, uh, and Claude on Cog State. Very speculative and, and probably underline it and... Uh, Capital letters from both of them. Uh, Universal Stores are no, E-Road are no, and IntelliHR are no as well. Rob Shears from Valor Private Wealth. Great to see you, mate. Thank you very much for joining us. Likewise, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Thanks, Scott. Good on you, guys. Thanks. Have a good Thank afternoon. Uh, that's it for the Thanks, show Rob. for Thanks, today. Rob. If you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover for me to put to our expert um, uh, panel, Put them in an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or via Twitter using the at TV handle. You can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Um, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Don't forget to look at the latest investment committee meeting is on the platform. It's a beauty. I reckon it's uh, the best that um, the team has put together. So a lot of really good comments and direction and changes to the fantasy portfolio. Uh, that's it for the call for today. See you same time tomorrow at midday. Coming up next, the small caps.